0: When I was a young minister taking my first assignment, <clears throat> my first assignment was to plant a college ministry at a great big megachurch in Los Angeles. There had been one there before, but then it had kind of closed, and uh, now I was going to restart it. So I found 10 college kids, and I got them together, and I remember the room that we gathered in, and we gathered for a prayer meeting. God, what would you have us do? Now, I'm a little bit ashamed to admit it, But that was kind of a perfunctory exercise on my part because I already knew what to do. (laughs) I had a to-do list in my head, and I knew what was going to happen first, and then second, and then third, and then fourth. And really, I do that. It's kind of to-do palooza. And uh, it's a gift, and it's a curse. And so I did it. I called a prayer meeting. But I did it because that's what a minister is supposed to do. And what surprised me is that when we gathered and we quieted ourselves, we set aside some time to not do my to-do list, uh, I heard something. I heard something in my soul. I heard something that has profoundly changed my life, and it is a handful of semi-mystical experiences that I've had in my lifetime that have shaped who I am that I put under the category of encounters with the divine voice. There weren't any audible words if you'd been in the room or nobody in the room heard anything. But even so, this many years later, 27, 28 years later, I remember those words. And the words were this Don't contend for a successful church, contend for the awakening of a generation. Don't contend for a successful church, contend for the awakening of a generation. Now, as you know, if you've been here for a while, I really love history. I think it deeply informs our understanding of the present moment. It helps us understand why we do what we do. It helps us know what it is we're doing. So even back then, knowing what I knew about history then, I knew that from time to time in history, generations are awakened. It happens. It happened pretty dramatically in Wales in the 1800s. It happened in the United States in both 1800 and again in 1857. But I also knew from studying history that it's not something that somebody with a really good to-do list can get done. It was something that happened because a moment emerged. It was something that happened because a moment's time had come. Awakening of a generation is something that happens to us. It doesn't happen because of us. It happens in us, and it happens around us, and it happens uh, in that context. It doesn't happen because of us of us. So, if you're going to contend for the awakening of the gener- of generation, you can't really contend. You can't make that happen. The best you can do is be prepared. Should you be born into one of those generations in which it happens, should you have this moment whose time has come emerge in the days that you get to spend on this earth, you can be prepared for it when that time comes. Well, that experience, at that prayer meeting uh, with those 10 college kids has created interior dissonance for me for a long time, a struggle for me, because I do have this personality type, and I have framed my identity and my worth and my place on the earth on the basis of getting stuff done. I can do it. And this stiffly challenged that, because here's an assignment that I think is whispered from the interior voice of the divine to not do what I do. So, I still live my life by the to-do list, and sometimes it's a gift, and sometimes it's a curse, but always in the back of my mind is this experience, preparing for a moment in time that is not of my doing, that does not move forward on the strength of my effort. Those words were playing in the back of my mind when we decided to come here to Raleigh as opposed to the career track that was expected for me which was to leave that megachurch and then go take over the senior pastorate of a large church somewhere, we came here because those words were echoing in the back of my mind. It's also why we haven't been at work these last 20 years building a successful church. It's why we have been working on a prototype church, a prototype of how to be church for this generation, a church for the quantum era, a church for the postmodern mind, a church for the burned out on church heart. So in my mind, for these 20 years, the NRCC has been about contending for a generation. And it's a generation that I've come to love, a generation that sometimes despises the word Christian, a generation that at best feels ambivalence toward the church, sometimes hostility, a generation that thinks that ministers are parasites, sucking resources from the society instead of offering something back, actually perpetrators of harm. And I love that generation. They're my people. So for them, we have been rethinking the Christian story. If you read the book, uh, you'll recall the story about the universal mind versus the mind of Christ. That was costly. That hurt. But we did that for this generation. That's why we have been doing rethinking our story. That's why we've been rethinking the instincts that we bring to making church, which has meant that for most of our years, most of the work that we have done has gone under the surface. It has not looked from the outside looking in like NRCC has been a very successful church for these 20 years. We're not very big. We're not very organized. Not many programs. We're not really doing best practices. One friend early on called us the I know you guys. You're the do-nothing church. I've been there. I know about you people, the do-nothing church. Well, as you know, uh, our organizational development guru, Jack Fallow, flew over from Scotland, and he was with us for most of September. He met with many of us, consulting with us about this moment of transition we're in. And he said while he was here something really affirming. He said, Most churches, he said, indeed most organizations, in 20 years' time will do one year of work. They'll just do it 20 times. But your community, he said, has done 20 years' work in 20 years' time. Because while we have been stumbling around trying to figure out how to be Christian and trying to figure out how to do church... While we have not been doing what all good churches do, he said, what you have been doing is figuring out how to be a Christian church for this generation, for this era, for people in this worldview to be able to embrace. And, he said, what you have here really works. For 20 years, by simply taking care of one another, by listening carefully and obeying tenaciously, by desiring and by paying attention By asking ourselves these core questions what does it mean to be Christian? What does it mean to do church? We have been discerning and we've been learning and we've been growing. And without realizing what we were doing, we've been figuring out how to be church in a way that works in this new worldview. Almost inadvertently, we have stumbled into a thing, and it's a thing that we can give away to others. So Jack fed back to us that what we have here works, and it works really well. We know how to do church in the quantum worldview. We need some improvements, but at least now we know what those improvements are. used to be that we didn't even know how to improve, how to go forward. Is it this microphone? So now, uh, being forced to leave our denomination and being forced to leave our building, this has given us Pause. Time to stop and look up and to see what has happened over these 20 years. While we were desiring and paying attention, while we were translating the Christian story into a quantum worldview, what happened was an authentic spiritual community emerged, a community that works. How did that happen? We have built a successful church. But wait a minute, that's not what we're working on a successful church. Turns out that by thinking, about how to be Christian in this tumultuous time, we stumbled backwards into a successful church. What we also saw when we paused for a moment to look up is that our spiritual community does work, but it works for about 350 people. We know how to do church for 350, maybe for 400 people. Getting kicked out of our denomination, and well, actually, I got kicked out of our denomination. You all voted to leave the denomination. I think that's an important distinction for you. (laughs) (laughs) This has given us reason to look up and ask ourselves, what do we have here? To ask ourselves what to do with what we have here. And here's what Jack helped us see. A church that works in this worldview for 400 people is a successful church, but it doesn't Awaken a generation. 400 people living together in spiritual community in Raleigh doesn't leave a Christian church for our children or for our grandchildren. That was a big part of what Jack fed back to us. You do have a working prototype for how to do church, he said, and you have it for a world that is abandoning Christianity rapidly. So we kept asking, what are you going to do with what you have here? What will you do with what you have here. Which is a provocative question. Did we do all of that rethinking work in order to have a successful church? Or did we do all that rethinking work towards something that was bigger than ourselves? So we have stumbled into a successful church, we have been figuring out how to talk about God in ways that are helpful in this new worldview and to talk about human nature and sin and salvation. And we have been figuring out how to do that with children and with teenagers and in our music and in our relationships. But in the back of our minds has been our kids and our grandkids. Can we leave them a church that works for them in this emerging worldview in which they now become steeped. Now as you know Jack really knows organizations that is really his expertise but he also knows the church because since he retired he's led hundreds of leaders across Europe in an organization that's called the Trinity Forum. You might know what Trinity Forum is but because they're working in an area that's being inclusive of a Muslim population as well they've changed the name to Renaissance Forum. His focus for the last several years has been with uh, religious leaders in the Balkans. So he and Isabel, they visited our church seven years ago. And what he saw then, he said, is why he accepted our invitation to come now. Because he told us what he saw seven years ago in nascent form was a way of being church that he realized could translate into successive generations. And he said in the seven years since then, he's told hundreds of church leaders and religious leaders all across Europe about our community, about what is brewing here among us. And so he kept asking us, is now your time? You have this potential here. You have become a successful church. Is it time to step into your potential? So, what do you have here? That was the question he's been asking. For a long time, our community has been practicing Listen carefully, obey tenaciously, listen quietly for the Spirit of God, listen for those interior nudges, and then follow through on those promptings that we hear from within. Now, if you're new enough that you haven't heard us use that term, I kind of apologize because it's an important keystone for the spiritual life, but if you haven't heard it, it's probably because we've been talking about desire and pay attention as the two-step dance of the spiritual journey, and they're really two emphases on the same spiritual dynamic. So we've been doing that. Listen carefully. Obey tenaciously. So Jack Dask asked us about our stories, about what we have here. He did it with me. He did it with the church council. He did it with all of those of you who signed up for the coffee groups while he was here. And he told us what he was up to. He said, a good consultant borrows your watch and then tells you what time it is. And he said, that's what I'm doing. I'm listening to your stories so I can tell you what I hear. So he listened. He listened to what we've discerned. Through the years so he could tell us what time it is if you were in one of those groups you heard him say again and again what do you have here again and again he would ask what do you have here so three things that he fed back to us after he had listened to us that we have here let me tell you those three things what we have here is we have a safe place again and again that's what he heard from us we feel safe to have doubts here. We we feel safe to feel our own interior resistance to religion here. We feel safe trying out new ways of thinking, trying out new ways of behaving. For many, NRCC is a place of refuge from religious systems that have in the past chewed us up and spit us out, had actually done harm to us. We feel safe. Spirituality here is authentic, he heard. We don't need to put up a show one for another. We grant one another permission to have our own experiences and in the process, some of those experiences could be dark or could be struggling or some of those experiences could be a reflection of our own immaturity and that's okay. We grant one another permission for self-discovery and not to be judged on our own journeys or to be censored in the process. It's okay here, he heard, to find our own paths and to find them on our own timetables, The point of all that safe making is to encourage one another to firsthand spiritual experience. It's not okay to settle for what someone else tells us we ought to experience on the spiritual journey. It's not okay here to settle for something that we should believe or that we should experience. We certainly do share with one another, but it's important uh, to us to do that. But it's not important that we insist on conformity one with another. And that, Jack told us makes us feel safe we can be open here we can be honest here we don't impose some kind of spiritual order on one another I really liked one of the things that he said when he was uh, telling us what he'd heard nobody adds to your wounds here I really hope that's true nobody adds to your wounds here first we are safe second what we have here is a community organized around trust after he'd done all the interviews, after he'd met with all of us over those meetings, Jack met at a final meeting with the church council, and he kind of wrapped things up for us. And in the process of that meeting, he taught us about two different kinds of organizations, organized, organizations that are organized around uh, loyalty and those that are organized around trust. It's going to take me a minute to explain, but I think it's going to be worth it for our own self-understanding. There are enterprises that organize around loyalty. They're usually groups that have some kind of a territory as their primary resource. And their objective is to protect that territory. It's where they get their income from, where they get their livelihood from. So their focus then is to protect that territory because it's, it's on the basis of that territory that they live. And so for those kinds of groups, Loyalty is essential to their success. Everyone within the territory must protect the territory, and everyone must be loyal to the territory and to one another. An example of that is nation states. Nations have have a territory, and they have armies to protect it, and they have loyalty to, uh, to the nation to work with. And so armies exact a high degree of loyalty. They take oaths. People get in politics, take oaths to defend the Constitution, and so forth. Churches also have a territory to protect. It's a belief territory. It says that we are part of this group because we all guard this territory together. And also in churches, a high degree of loyalty is commanded. We call that church membership or some such thing. Well, territory-protecting organizations depend on loyalty or they don't survive. You're one of us. Together, we are us. We share a set of norms and a share of set of values and practices. We all act this way. We all think this way. And our shared loyalty reinforces our shared values and practices. And that gives us the strength to guard and to protect our territory. So loyalty is the glue that holds those kinds of organizations together. Consequently, uh, in loyalty systems that are working hard to be cohesive and to uh, be protected, there is, it becomes normal to do things that we would not normally do, things that we wouldn't do in any of the other setting. So, for example, armies will lie to the enemy, and that's very normalized, uh, even though we wouldn't do that in a normal setting. Drill sergeants will abuse recruits, which we wouldn't do in any other setting, but we do it in that setting because this is how we are going to uh, strengthen and support everyone being towing the party line, uh, party line. So, churches... Do that too. Sometimes subtly, sometimes not so subtly. But One of the things that we do is we encourage people to shut off their brains when they come in the door and to not question and to not doubt and to not ask those questions because we need to focus on protecting our shared belief territory. Well, in loyalty organizations, the dominant relationship dynamic is parent to child. An authority person tells a subordinate person how to act and how to think and how to behave. And in certain settings, that's the best possible arrangement. Can you imagine a U.S. government official actually telling the truth to Al-Qaeda or opening the borders to Al-Qaeda? That wouldn't be something that we would do in that context or in that setting. And churches, Jack taught us, almost exclusively arrange around loyalty, loyalty to doctrines, Loyalty to behaviors, loyalty to beliefs and to practices. This is the thing that we do that distinguishes us from them. Loyalty endeavors, loyalty organizations. There are also enterprises that organize around trust. These are groups that usually tend to thrive on the basis of trade. They depend upon contracts and they depend upon those contracts being honored. So consequently, that makes trust essential. I have to trust that you're going to do the thing that you say you're going to do, and you have to trust that I'm going to do the same thing I say I'm going to do, or else trade cannot continue and our survival becomes imperiled. When trade partners don't keep their word, trade can't continue. So, do you honor your contract? Do you do what you say you're going to do? Do you follow through on what you said you were going to do? Does your product do what you said your product would do? Does it last as long as you said it would last? And, Jack said, after observing NRCC, he said, you're an anomalous church. You don't function on the basis of loyalty. Churches are supposed to. What's wrong with you people? He says, you function on the basis of trust. He said, when you do, what are you thinking at the end of a lesson what you're saying is, we trust the Holy Spirit of God within you as we do in ourselves. When you are, what you're saying is, it's okay for you to think differently. It's okay for you to think what you think. You don't have to toe the party line in order to be one of us. He said, when you gather in Enneagram groups and you openly talk about your gifts and your curses, what you're saying is, we can trust one another even in the midst of our struggles with our weaknesses. We don't reject one another for being uh, frail human beings. Churches, and he said, albeit subtly, but churches usually squeeze out the wrong kind of people. There's some unspoken process by which you get squeezed out if you don't believe the right things, or if you don't behave the right way, or if you aren't loyal to the system, you... Sometimes have to be loyal to the system, even at the expense of your own internal authenticity. But if you aren't loyal to the system, you do get squeezed out. Many people, he said, come to NRCC from the loyalty church world. and We invite them into the trust church world. We trust that the Holy Spirit is in them, just as we trust that the Holy Spirit is in each of us. So consequently, we don't depend upon rules at NRCC. We don't depend upon codes of behavior. We don't have rituals that impose control one upon another. We don't insist that one another have certitude or that we have blind faith. We don't try to get each other to do or to say the right stuff. In a trust organization, he said, the dominant relationship is not parent-child, it's adult-adult. Once we affirm that the Holy Spirit of God is in each of us, it changes the culture. Leadership doesn't have to tell people what to do. We as a community don't have to follow lockstep those who are in leadership. In fact, we have reordered the whole notion of what leadership is. We come to see that we all have places of influence. Now, a few of us help coordinate community life. That's important because that just helps a community thrive. But we all carry influence into our worlds. What you have stumbled on, Jack said, is an essential ingredient for a church that is going to work in the quantum world. First, we're a safe place. Second, we are organized around trust instead of loyalty. Third, he said, what you have here is a work in progress. NRCC here, he heard us say, is not fully formed. In fact, it never can be. Uh, We are practicing progress, we are not arriving. We don't sell ourselves as fully formed because we don't believe that we are fully formed and we really don't believe that arriving is something that can actually happen. But we do love what we have. We love the journey that we are on. We love being part of the process that we are a part of. Being in this changing process is changing us. The progress that we see in one another the progress that we see in the community as a whole, this mirrors the progress that we see going on in our own souls, and we love being a part of it. So When Jack stole our watch, borrowed our watch, these are the things that he told us about the time. What we have here is a safe place, a place organized around trust, and an ever-changing place. And he said, what you have here is a rare treasure. And he asked us again and again, what will you do with what you have? What will you do with this rare treasure? In the final meeting with the council, he used these phrases. He said, what I've seen in your community is confidence without hubris. You are trusting, but you are also vigilant. You trust each other, but not with a blind trust, not at all. You're strong, but yours is a vulnerable strength. You're strong because you know that everybody who is part of the community has their own vulnerability. And so, your strength is rooted in your instinct to protect and cover and support one another in your vulnerabilities as opposed to exploiting or jumping onto one another's vulnerabilities. And he said this is especially pronounced in the way that the community thinks of and treats the leadership. And he pointed at me and especially Doug. We recognize that Doug is also vulnerable. So we practice trust, but not a blind trust in those who lead the community, because we work hard not to give away our own power. We trust, but verify. We don't encourage, we don't even value blind obedience. And again, he said, this is rare. What will you do with this rare treasure that you have? What will you do with what you have? So this is a good place to pause and say, so what will you do with what you have? So we have a plan, but that word, it's a good plan, but the word plan should be put in quotes because it's not really a plan. It's more of a suggested process. We've got a suggested process. It's certainly not what people typically think of when they think about a plan. It's more of a direction. It's not the 5 year we'll do this then we'll do this then we'll do this. But here's the plan. Are you ready? It's got three parts, but it's really just two parts. The first part will be over very quickly. First part is to protect what we have. In our final meeting, Jack encouraged us to protect our community. Because first and foremost, that's what we have. We have one another. Moving is change, we are going to move, change is difficult. So Jack encouraged us to watch over one another through these next many months in which we are going to transition. He encouraged us to help one another with our anxieties and to help one another process the difficulties that come. It's important for all of us, he said, to keep track of one another during the move. So I ask you this question, who are your people? at NRCC. And then I encourage you to keep track of them during this time of transition, to call them and to check in on them, ask after them. I'm gonna speaking with the children's team about doing this with our children's ministry. I'm speaking with the teen team and the community care team, the worship team, the same groups. This is important that we keep track of one another during this time of transition. This transition is probably gonna take us until about February. We will move into the, the new location at the end of February, or maybe we'll get in there a little earlier or later, depending on how the process goes. But uh, Jim's over there managing the project said, Not earlier, not earlier. <laughs> we'll get in around that time, all right? Yeah. And the next thing he said is, When you get there, build capacity. That's the term he used build capacity. He said, you're going to need, you're you're going to have to rebuild your financial resources because they're going to get depleted during this process. But he said, I also encourage you to build up the number of people who know how to do what you do as a community. If you're ever going to share what you have with others, we're going to need more people who know how to build a Christian church for the quantum era. So the assignment that he gave me was to write another book. This book to help us in this process of helping one another know how to do this kind of church. So I've got to finish out this current book on rethinking sex education. But this book, he said, make it a series of short chapters on how to do church. What rethinking our story was for belief in the quantum worldview, make this book about how to do spiritual community in the quantum worldview. If rethinking was about orthodoxy, make this book about orthopraxis. So here's an example. There's a way that we talk about personal growth at NRCC. What we say is, it's not our job to make ourselves grow. It's not our job to make one another grow. In fact, we can't. We can't do that any more than a tree can make itself grow. All community does, all spiritual community does, is put together sun and soil and seed and water, and growth is embedded in each one of us because the Holy Spirit is within each one of us. And Jack said, that is great. That is fantastic. What in the world does that mean? (laughs) how do you put together sun and soil and seed and water? Clearly you're doing it, but write it down, Doug, and write it down in a way that everyone understands. And do the same for that two-step dance of the spiritual journey. You know, the desire and pay attention. Yes, that's good, and clearly people are doing that, but what does it mean? How does the community practice that together? The same with working the circle. What does it mean to be working the circle? How do you do those things? Write it down so that people can have access to it so they know how to be doing it, so they know how to be building that, so that they've got a set of blueprints to work with so that they can begin building that into their own lives, into their own process. So that's on my list for this next year. I'll gather and I'll write down how we translate healthy quantum spiritual journey into practice. And I'll work on it in this creating some sort of a handbook or a guide or, you know, just here's a set of principles you need to know as you go to work. The reason for that kind of clarifying work is to invite more of us to participate in shaping our community, to invite more of us to own and to influence and to know how to build healthy quantum spiritual community, protect what we have through the move and then build on it. Make it stronger and deeper. Develop capacity. Right after Jack left, I spoke to some on the elementary team. They've got four super gifted people who know how to do children's ministry and how to design children's ministry in this new quantum worldview. And I asked them, what is it going to take over the next year or two to get eight or 12 who know how to do what you know how to do? We have a worship planning team with three people on it. They know how to create worship for a Christian church in the quantum era. And I've asked them, what will it take to have six or eight or ten? And the same with the teens and the same with community making and learning and contemplative practice. So first, we protect what we have through this move. And after that, we begin to build on, deepen, and strengthen what we have. That will probably take us through mid to late 2016. That's what we'll be working on for the next year or so. After that, he said, what would you do? He said, watch for ways to share what we have. Again, Jack asked every one of the groups that he met with, uh, do you exist for you, do you exist for NRCC, or do you exist for the broader church? And as we processed that question, we came to the answer, yes, we exist for both. If we don't guard our community, we really have nothing to offer. But if we don't give away what we have, we really are hiding our light under a bushel. Now, I have personally, I dug, have known this for a long time in my guts. I've known that what was coming was giving away what we've done here. But I thought it was a job for me. I thought it was a mission for me to do. But for the weeks that Jack was here, I saw something clearly, and that is no it's not. It's not for me. This is not something best for me to try and give away because what we have here that can be given away isn't really mine to give. It's ours. Because what we really have that's best is a show and tell kind of endeavor. Our gift isn't really my speaking there are a lot of good speakers out there uh, sp- talking about church in the postmodern world. That's not really my writing. There are a lot of good writers out there doing a very good job of talking about the emergent church. What distinguishes us is that we've done the gritty detail work of hammering out how to do an emergent church in a community. Our gift is what we've done together over 20 years, figuring out how to be Christian together, figuring out how to do church together. Our gift to share is to show people how we do what we do well. We want to build capacity so that more of us know how and can show others how to do what we do. What we have to offer, the Christian church desperately needs. There are Christian people out there, good Christian people, who are languishing who are just quitting the whole endeavor because they don't even know what is possible. They, didn't, they don't know how that they would get from where they are to where we can be. I had a minister from the denomination that kicked us out call me to apologize on behalf of the denomination. And he was saying that he was leaving his church and that he was going to become a life coach because he no longer believed that church could be done authentically. And I said, whoa, 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 hold on, Wait. <laughs> Don't do that yet. Let me tell you a story. Let me tell you how it's done. Let me tell you what can be done. And the first thing I told him about was you. The first thing I told him about was a bunch of castoffs from the traditional church just like him. I told him how our children's ministry teaches our kids and about how our music ministry makes music fit within to the quantum framework. I talked about the circle. I talked about contemplative practices and how the Enneagram awakens us to growth. But mostly I told him about you and the work that we've done. I told him he needed to come and visit and to stay for a while and they needed to talk to you. We have a gift. We have a way of being church and we can give that as a gift. So finally, why does our plan go take us to temple? It's a two-step plan. It is a build capacity. After we've Transition, it's a build capacity and look for opportunities to share what we have plan. Why did we decide to do that two-step plan at Temple? We decided to go there because that was our last best option. (laughs) (laughs) And my initial response to going there was resistance. And I've heard other people talk about uh, resistance along the way, but I haven't heard one challenge to us going there that I didn't have in my own head first. Because there's the distance and then there's the size, and then there's the religious look, and then there's the religious name, and then there's the bad smells, and then I mentioned the distance. So I understand every point of resistance that we've had to our last best chance. But once I began to see our future materialize, building capacity and looking for ways to share what we have once I began to see that future kind of unfolding, it began to occur to me and it began to occur to the council that even if we had other options, being at the center of our city, being at the center of our county was the best possible place for us to be. Once we realized that a future would be about sharing what we have, we realized that being part of CBF, that's the church—that's the network they belong to, which is a network of other kicked out churches. This could be a place of involvement for us. and This could be a place of influence for us, a place where we could share what we have. Once we realize that our future could be mentoring others and helping new endeavors get started, a church building that has lots of rooms, three separate sanctuaries, three separate kitchens, more rooms than you can find your way to, would provide possibilities, places to incubate And send out new ministries. Places for concurrent congregations with different emphases to get started before they would go out. Places to develop leadership and to support interns and to support exhausted but experienced ministers and give them time to recover as opposed to selling insurance, which is what many of them do. Places to try new things and to have a safety net. Once we realized that our future would be sharing what we have, we realized that by simply doing that, by simply moving to temple, simply moving there was a potent symbol of our future, a potent symbol of giving ourselves away, coming alongside an aging church and helping them and sustaining them and caring for them as they age, bringing encouragement and support. Now, these things tend to work out this way, but I fully expect what will happen is that we will go there with the intention of giving ourselves away. And Because this is the way these things tend to go, I suspect we will receive much more than we give. That's the way that principle works. And I bet some of their folks will stay traditional until they die. Others may see something that they haven't seen, but by simply caring for them and practicing giving ourselves away, we will become theirs, they will become ours. And as has typically happened in this 20 years that we've had on this journey, it appears we have stumbled backwards into a future and a destiny that is set before us. Stumbled backwards into contending for the awakening of a generation. Now, their leadership assures me that the congregational vote's going to be smooth sailing, but I am even more than I was hoping it really is. Jack coined a phrase to help us think about our future together. He called it an emerging strategy for an emergent church. He encouraged us not to develop a five-year plan. He encouraged us not to do this, then do this, then do that. But he encouraged us to take on this two-stage process. Develop capacity and watch for opportunities to share what we have. Again, he said you're going to need to build back your financial reserves after the move. You're going to have to figure out how to ask for money without triggering the money hurts that people have who have been part of church. We have to figure out how to develop a deeper bench, more people who know how to build a Christian church for the quantum era. And then we're going to have to create a culture of watchfulness, looking for opportunities. We don't have a fixed idea of how to share what we have. So we will be intentionally watchful together, looking for, looking for open doors together, deepening our, deepening our understanding together, broadening the number of people who know how to build this kind of church. Jack spoke some powerful words to the council at our last meeting. He underscored something that he'd heard from Michelle, that our church as a whole is being called to eldership for the broader church. A couple of months ago I talked about ordination, about what that ritual meant and about how it applies to all of us. Jack suggested that we are being ordained into an eldership role for the broader church because what elders do is they give themselves away in service to those they've come to love. What elders do is they don't exist for their own well-being, they exist for the well-being of others. That sounded like us. That sounded like a future that we could set before us. And that, I thought it was important. He did say, now here are some possible ways. He said, these are ways that after having listened to you, I can't imagine. He said, having listened to you, it may be that these are the things that emerge. When you have reconsolidated At the new place. When you have developed capacity and when you do start looking for opportunities to share what you have, he fed back to us here's some of the things that might draw from your strengths. These are the kind of things that you might emerge. He said, What you could do is probably launch other NRCC locations, other places in town where NRCC would have its own leadership structure of people who know how to do Christian church for the quantum era. He says, You might support other churches as they are becoming uh, Christian quantum churches and help them make that transition. Actually, since he's left, I've had three conversations with three ministers, all of whom were planning on leaving their church until we started talking, and they are looking to become churches like ours. He said, you could become a refuge church to help rehabilitate ministers and elders who have given up on ministry and who are thinking, I don't want to do this anymore anymore. He said you could train seminary interns and give them a good start. You could become a teaching community and use the technology today of a YouTube channel or some kind of a podcast structure. You could become known as a personal growth center and offer seminars on the Enneagram and on contemplative practice, on conflict resolution. He said each one of the quadrants in the circle, you could do seminars on how to do that. You could begin to publish the liturgies that you create to uh, do worship times together. You could become a leading community church, is it possible, he asked, to create community in multiple aspects within this site that you're coming to. Well, who knows what our future will bring us. But again, we move forward together, we build our capabilities, we listen carefully, we obey tenaciously, and when opportunities present themselves and we're ready, we share what we have with the broader church week, when we dismiss, we stand together and we put our hands on our heart and we extend our other hand to the city and I lead a prayer for us. The prayer is, Lord, revive our hearts and awaken our city. Revive us to life and to love and truth and goodness. These are the hallmarks of the divine within us. Revive us to life and love and truth and goodness. and May we be carriers of the same to those with whom we share our city, those that we live with and work with, those with whom we share our city. Amen. Now, that simple ritual originated in that experience that I had 27 years ago. Don't contend for a successful church, but for the awakening of a generation. Because those times in history, when a generation is awakened, have always followed a pattern group of people pray some iteration of that prayer, and they are awakened and revived in their own hearts. They find their way back to the essence of our tradition. You've heard me say this many times, it is our way to lose our way. In the last 50 years as a Christian church, we've lost our way. But, I also say, it is also our way to find our way once we've lost it. And in some generations, after a group of people find their way again, after their hearts are revived to the life and light of God, they do become carriers of that same life and light to their cities, to their friends, to their neighbors, co workers, to the world. Well, I believe our community is experiencing that heart reviving. We are growing, we are changing and transforming. And I believe we can become carriers of the same. I'm the founding minister of NRCC. and I've been at the center of things for a long time. And given my personality, I have tended to function independently, which has made me kind of stay at the center of things longer than I should have. But we've reached a time when that will no longer move us forward. So my hope is that many more of us to take ownership of this thing that we have here it's a precious thing it's an authentic thing it's a transformative thing and our work the work before us is to figure out how to open up places for many of us to have an ownership stake in moving this thing forward and that's my hope my hope is that many of us can find our ways into that building capacity future. I hope that many of us will contribute the dollars that our future will need. I hope that many of us will take up that watchful posture, watching for ways to share what we have. I hope that many of us will take an ownership stake in the future that we have together. Now, in a moment, I'm going to open the floor for what are you thinking. Before we do that, I'm going to ask you to go ahead. Let's take a moment of breath and silence. Maybe this would be a moment. I'd encourage you to make this a moment for your own making of a prayer. A prayer about what your part in moving forward together would look like. Maybe it's a prayer about willingness. Willingness to find your way into this process. Maybe it's a prayer asking for help help to find your way into this process. Maybe it's a prayer of commitment, a prayer of sorting your priorities so that you could find your way into this process. Go ahead and take a quiet moment and make your prayer. Spirit of God, may we together move into what it is that is set before us may we have eyes that see opportunities when they present themselves may our hearts be tender and shapeable may we be people who are revived in our hearts and may we be able to offer that same revival to those with whom we share our city and our world in jesus name